It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Adam Forrest. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. We have an exciting discussion today about building a SaaS company and exiting. So we need to learn about exiting and selling um, and when is the right time and why and all that good stuff. So we're going to talk to Dave Schneider. He was the founder of Ninja Outreach. <laughs> um, and so before we get into that, just a quick announcement. We are doing a giveaway. You have a chance right now. This is a holiday giveaway to win $800 in gift cards from Ethical Brands. This is an $800 ethical lifestyle kit that includes $200 gift cards from four brands. And those are... Kind Karma, Nimble, Brave Souls, and Zendagi. So visit ethicalgiveaways.com and enter today, guys. We're going to announce that winner on December 13th. So just two days away. That's Wednesday. We're going to announce the winner. You have today and tomorrow to sign up. So get in on the action. Win the $800 and boost your holiday cash flow. Um, all right, guys, <laughs> remember we have December 15th, the next magazine coming out with Joel Brown and uh, Emil Steenfeld. They're doing amazing work out in Bali, and it is all about mastering your game by mastering your mindset. It is such a good interview. This edition is going to be rocking. So keep an eye out. We also talk about how to build a brand that matters with Mona Amadeo. She's a kick butt experience branding expert. And we're going to dive deep into how to build a brand that matters. So, guys, that's going to be issue number 22. Can you believe it? 22 magazines released in the app. That is a ton of content. Subscribe to the app. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. This is the most accessible mentorship from the best people around the planet right in your pocket. All right, guys, we're going to dive into this conversation with Dave and see what he has to say about building a SaaS and selling it. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Um, you know, I've, I've known about your work for a few years now, so I'm glad that we have a chance to, to connect and <clears throat> talk a little bit about your kind of like a head-to-toe experience of starting a SaaS and selling it. I think a lot of people kind of... Um, you know, neglect a little bit that exit strategy, especially uh, how important that is with investors and things like that. So um, give us a little bit of background on uh, Ninja Outreach. Now, did you have any other SaaS before that or was that your first one? No, that was my first one. And um, I really had no software experience and really no business starting a software business because I, I'm not a coder and I, I'm not I, you know, even... <laughs> that technical really. Um, but, uh, years ago, back in 2014, I had been working online, um, for maybe two years or so at that point, um, doing some blogging, you know, SEO type work. Um, but I really wanted to get into what I felt was a more stable business model, which was software. I was looking for some of my own itches to scratch. One of them was kind of content promotion, um, and a little bit blogger outreach. Um, and that kind of got me uh, oriented towards, you know, the future, you know, what Ninja Arch would eventually become. I basically connected with my partner through a podcast. Um, he had me on as a guest to talk about traffic generation strategies. 
and we kind of hit it off and we were both talking about doing some software and he had a a friend who was a, a developer and was also down so basically the three of us got together and got started building you know this influencer marketing platform that you know became ninja outreach Awesome. So let's let's just tell. I guess so, guys. Just so you know, like I actually was someone who took on Ninja Outreach, and it's a really uh, it's grown too. It's a really elaborate platform, which is pretty cool. So, tell me a little bit about I guess how um, you started strategizing and planning that, and we'll get into some of the new stuff you're doing now. But just to since you did build that one up, what were some of the bigger challenges you faced in actually getting it off the ground and getting that that initial momentum? I think that would be interesting. Sure. So, I mean, in the beginning, you're basically looking to understand the market and who your potential customers are going to be and, and do they even want this for problems that they're having. Um, we were not the first or the last blogger outreach tool on the market, um, which in some ways is a benefit because it means that there's already um, some some data out there. There's people that are using it. That's kind of established that there's a need in the market. And whenever there's um, some business out there, there's probably some unhappy users. And if you can get in touch with them and understand um, their use case and what they're looking for, that can be the springboard for you know uh, your product. So with Ninja Outreach at the time, there was nobody doing you know really uh, both prospecting and outreach in one tool. Um, you know there were prospecting tools and there were outreach tools, but but nobody really combined them into one. And in most cases, marketers were using two, and they would use one and then export and then import into the other. And we thought that this was kind of a hassle that things were lost in the you know the data transfer uh, that it interrupted the workflow. So we built Ninja Outreach to be this prospecting and outreach tool, kind of all in one. Um, so that was sort of the vision, and it made sense, and people kind of applauded us for. Uh, taking that on, um, but it was a challenge because you know th- there's sort of a reason why people didn't have both in one tool, which is because it's kind of like a monumental task to take on. <laughs> yeah. It's very difficult to kind of do both of those well. You know, people that were doing all outreach were very focused, and they could get in those really nuanced features um, that an outreach tool would have. Same for prospecting. And Ninja Outreach always kind of lagged a little bit behind in this, and that we were neither one nor the other, and, and that was kind of a struggle to be kind of like the best at either. Um, but that you know that became our niche for you know several years. Later on down the line, you know other tools did start to kind of introduce like that missing part. Yeah. Um, or is prospecting or outreach, and nowadays, you know, the the difference isn't so clear. Uh, but that's kind of you know how it how uh, how the vision was started. Yeah, no, that's cool. And and what kind of initial dollars did you need to kind of you know get your beta testing? Val- I mean, like you said, it's kind of validated if there's already competitors out there and it's doing well, so you have some data. Um, but to get a SaaS together, I think some people get. Um, kind of overwhelmed with the idea. Remember, you said you didn't have the coding experience and all that kind of stuff. So, how like how much did it take to get something started and just get an idea if this is going to work? Yeah. So, I, one of the big um, uh, factors is basically is your co-founder or or you um, technical? Because if 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 that is the case, then essentially you can kind of um, get development done for free. Yeah. You know, sort of right. You don't have to pay somebody to do it. Um, and that was what our situation was like in the beginning, at least when we started in, in mid 2014. We had a you know a, a developer who was a co-founder and he started working on it. So costs at the beginning were you know fairly low in the first say six months or so. Um, you know, just kind of building the beta product and stuff like that. Um, after we launched um, and we started to get feedback and we just saw that we were like way behind, there's so much needed to be done, you know, really wanted to start pumping out like a lot of features and stuff. That's when we brought on 
um, another um, you know engineer, another developer, and we got a guy at like eighteen bucks an hour. I think if I'm you know if I remember correctly, yeah, yeah. which is a pretty good price um, back back in the day. Uh, but by no means is you know it's going to add up. You know, I mean, if you start doing forty hours a week yeah. at that price, it's like you know three grand plus, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, and that's kind of what happened basically. Um, so we kind of po- we paid that money out of our own pocket because we never, we were always self-funded. We never raised any money and we kind of in the software was, was basically making nothing, you know, um, like hundreds of dollars. So it was not at all offsetting that cost. And we did that for, you know, basically for months, um, around, you know, we launched in January of 2015, around August or so of, of 2015, we were, um, maybe making three grand a month, which would have been kind of enough to pay that one developer. But then we brought <laughs> A second developer, so uh, you know it's just kind of the minute you get out of one hole, you dig yourself into another. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, all all said and done, I, I think it'd be fair to say that that I probably put in eighty grand of my own money before I even really made a dime back. Yeah, and I think that's common. I don't think people realize, you know, it's not there's no magic formula necessary. You could start a drop shipping company, or you could start a SaaS company that has, you know, a monthly reoccurring revenue. But at the end of the day, um, there's people that come out and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I, I, we did this, and now we're making this much money." But there's probably about you know a year or two of hard work and failures <laughs> that led up to those conclusions, and a lot of money, like fifty to a hundred thousand dollars spent of their own cash flow. For sure. Yeah. So, um, did you have an exit plan? Like, were you more strategic? Were you kind of like going through this step by step just as it comes or were you like, Hey, we're starting a SAS. I got a, at some point, you know, you got this more elaborate business plan. You had an exit strategy or did the time just come where you felt like it was the, the appropriate time? Like what was your planning around an exit strategy or was there none? It, it, it was a little a little bit of everything. It, it wasn't like we never thought about what the exit strategy would be, or that we never had any discussions. Um, you know, I, I originally, I think I think we all got into it with the idea that you know we, we would be happy to kind of work on it for years. I mean, it wasn't like hey, we got to get out of this thing in a year. I mean, that that just would be unrealistic. Um, but at the same time, uh, we were considering that at some point we might want to sell it. I mean, if you look at selling a SaaS business and how the multiples work, um, it's you know it's fairly uh, favorable. If of course you know you can build like a, a nice like profitable business, which is uh, easier said than done. But you know if you do get to that point, like the multiple is is fairly fairly generous. And when you compare that to you know the salary or so that you may be paying yourself, um, that that kind of starts to shed a lot of light on it. I mean, you know, for two or so years at Ninja Outreach, I never even took a salary. Um, because it was always investing all the money back into the business that it was making. And then when I finally did take a salary, I was taking a fairly low one, um, like five, six K a month, which I mean, you know, it, it's certainly like a living wage by, by any means, but it, but it's also not luxurious, right? Um, and when I thought about, oh, I want to be making like, you know, good money, like six figures or something running my own business, right? I'm like a business owner. I want to be, you know, feeling like I, I, I you know, run a business here. Yeah realize that that if unless the business is sufficiently large then if you're taking like a six-figure salary then there's just kind of a lot of uh, dead weight there that you're kind of like paying yourself a lot of money but you're kind of not yeah you know, I mean you're just contributing like in a normal sense you're only one person and so it, it becomes sort of difficult right you're saying oh well, I'd want to be paying myself more but actually like the business needs more resources so you give more money to the business but then you're not making all that much money and, and basically exit kind of presents itself as this 
um, while I could actually fast track several years of my salary all in one and also free up my time to do other things. And that's why, you know, so many people exit. I mean, you know, that's just why, why that happens. Right. Cause you build a brand, it has value. It has brand equity. It's got uh, validated processes. And, you know, if you're not raising money necessarily, um, you know, you need more fuel on the engine. And, you know, I think a lot of the entrepreneurs we talk to, we hear, you know, that they have these processes and relative to how much they can put into marketing and things like that, um, they're doing pretty good, but they can't really, you know, put too much more money into it. So they just kind of stay at this low level. And that's why they start hunting for investment. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting kind of conundrum in a sense, but I can I can understand getting into that exit mindset once you start realizing, you know, maybe this is an opportunity. I, I like what you said, like you can free yourself up for a couple years now and focus on some new opportunities that might be out there. So I think that's really interesting. And I'm just curious, um, you know, when you were doing that, like what kind of conversations, like who, who were you looking at to exit? Like how did you target the right people that might be interested in something like this? And what were they looking for um, in order for you to win over that kind of uh, transaction? So as you start to kind of build a business and get some traction and, and people start to hear about you, you know, people approach you. You, you get emails. They, they say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in you know, learning more about the business, might be potentially you know, buy, you know, interested in buying it, investing in it. You want to hop on a call. You know, maybe I'll take a look at some numbers. Yeah. Um, by no means, this is like a daily or a weekly occurrence, but like a couple times a year, you know, so we'd get these types of, of emails. And whether or not we thought we were going to sell um, we always took those calls because it's good contacts to have and there's kind of no reason not to. And, you know, somebody, it might not be the right time then, but it could be the right time later. So basically, you know, in July um, of 2017, yeah, um, we had somebody reached out to us exactly like, like I mentioned. They did some due diligence. They made us an offer. It was a fine offer, but we just thought for a variety of reasons, we were in the middle of a rebranding and, and there was like a lot of things we were kind of optimistic and looking forward to and we wanted to kind of accomplish before we handed off the tool um and we said you know thanks but uh but no thanks um and pretty much we kind of kept our heads down continued to grow the business and successfully did so and then you know next year which is now already 2018 in january started to reconsider whether or not the timing made a bit more sense um there were kind of a variety of factors at play um, GDPR coming out, different like uh, you know life life events like you know getting married and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And just the, a variety of things kind of made it seem like um, we should consider you know potentially selling the business for the right offer. So we went back out to the guy who had emailed us in July. He was still interested. Um, we did some due diligence, and in March the business was sold. So it's sort of one of those um, you know. Uh, how do you, you you can't kind of plan or, or recreate that? It was one of kind of happenstance. It just kind of happens from kind of being out there. Um, but of course, there are like many brokers that you could go to, um, like Digital Acquisitions or Empire Flippers or FE International, uh, all of which would be happy to sell your business uh, for a commission. Yeah, interesting. And was there certain things they were looking for? Was it just the standard, you know, uh, data points, you know, certain growth patterns and stuff like that? Anything that stands out to you that might have been a real sticking point, just like we talked to people about what needs to be in your pitch pitch deck for funding. um, I feel like you're kind of pitching someone when they do their due diligence uh, to buy the company and exit as well. So anything that stands out like, hey, 
entrepreneurs listening to this, you guys need to be aware of this. If you're trying to exit, this is what they're going to be looking for. Sure. I mean, I like, like you said, there's sort of obvious um, uh, metrics that people are going to be looking at, like profitability and your growth rate and your churn rate. And th- those are kind of like no-brainer types of things. Yeah. Um, some of the things that maybe are not as obvious, but uh, in many ways somewhat equally important, is like the amount of time that the founder spends on the business. Um, you know, there's a big difference between a founder who shows up like 40 hours a week and one who shows up like five or 10. Um, and there are, you know, there are both of those scenarios. Some people just have these kind of more passive businesses that they don't have a lot of, uh, that they don't need to take a lot of time to run. And that's, you know, a really, um, good sign that's, you know, people, people want to buy a business that isn't a lot of work, right. (laughs) Uh, Or that they feel that if they were to put a lot of work into it, they could do a lot better. Um, so that was, you know, definitely one of the things that that kind of uh, helped. I think, um, you know, oppor- people are looking for opportunities, um, sort of uh, potentially ones that may have been like untouched. So we looked at, you know, uh, you know, our newsletter size, you know, uh, the fact that we had just done this whole rebranding, uh, you know, the, the affiliate program, the, these different sort of assets that we had. Um, we're sort of, um, you know, they, they make the business a little bit more attractive. They give it a little bit more character and color. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all really good advice. Um, and right now, since you've moved on from, uh, Ninja Outreach, you are supporting, uh, Albacross and then you also founded a second company called Churn. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about the company you founded and then what you're doing to support Albacross, I guess, based on some of the experience you have now, you're lending your, your consultation. Yeah, so I bought a business in November of last year called Less Turn. It was a churn reduction software that we were using at Ninja Outreach, and it was helping us convert more trial to paid and also uh, preserve more customers from canceling. Um, and basically the way that it works in a nutshell is it's kind of like an exit pop-up almost. So somebody goes to cancel inside the app, it presents them with different options like um, extend their trial or add a coupon or anything that really, you know, pause your account for a few months, basically trying to save that customer. Um, and if it saves them, that's great. And if it doesn't, then it collects some feedback to kind of segment them and, and give you an idea of why users are churning. So I bought that that business in, in November and I've been uh, last year and I've been doing, you know, some work on it with, uh, with a technical co-founder. And it's kind of slowly, very slowly um kind of making some progress um and then at the same time after um exiting ninja outreach uh, this year i you know i i started lending um my time to some other companies that were on the SaaS journey uh originally it was you know it was intended to be kind of a, a free pro bono experiment like hey i've just you know i've had some success let me get back um, and try to help out some other people. And I did do that. I had some calls. And then eventually those calls, you know, they, they, they turn into a little bit more of a, a larger commitment. So now I, I do um, some, I man, you know, I manage the marketing team at Albacross, which is a B2B lead generation platform that helps you track um, who's visiting your website. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, it looks like a great uh, program that they have and everything looks really nicely done. So. Um, yeah, and I, you know, we run an app, so things like churn. Now you said that for churn, that's that's dedicated to the app environment. That's right. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool because um, we now. So, what do you do? You have to install an SDK or something like that to, I guess, activate something like this. Uh, yeah, you well, you you put just like a snippet of code uh, of JavaScript on your on your account and, and on the cancellation button, and then um, and then inside of Less Churn, you kind of configure what the form looks like and how it's going to interact with the users. Okay, no, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because we 
you know, in our app, we don't have that kind of like an exit, like, hey, you know, kind of last chance or I, I like what you're, it's kind of an interesting take on it. I have not seen it before, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's kind of a, there's not that many of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, for now. Well, that could be powerful for sure, especially for some of these apps. Like I just saw this meditation app, you know, they got over what, 7 million downloads and we're app of the year. I mean, I yeah. think people are just feeling a lot of stress apparently, but yeah, apps like that could be huge for you. <laughs> Um, so listen, I'm curious with all your experience now, now you've really just focused in the SaaS space, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm wondering, cause there's a number of people in our audience who are in that space as well. Um, is there, you, you've gotten into, you know, guest blogging, I think historically, and if you're maybe still doing a lot of that, um, is this like a, a key focus for marketing and building up your credibility? Um, I'm, I'm, where I'm going is I'm curious about some of the marketing successes you've had like what channels and approaches have you found to be really helpful that you would use as a go-to uh yeah i do i do um some guest blogging i i do it now as well as a kind of a link building strategy for for less churn and i i also work with some other um marketing SaaS to help them uh, kind of build links through guest blogging i i always have my hands in kind of a lot of a lot of different little projects um but basically you know, I mean, year, you know, years ago with Ninja Outreach, one of the ways that we, I think, got 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 off the ground a bit was it was guest blogging. Um, it just that helped us generate traffic. You know, Ninja Outreach was always kind of an organic uh, traffic type of uh, acquisition strategy, um, and it that helped us generate links. And it was more the, it was cost effective in the sense that I could basically trade my time, um, which you know. Um, obviously, your time is valuable, but when you're sort of starting a SaaS business and you know you're in your 20s, your time is kind of like not that valuable. So that's <laughs> a good way to kind of uh, leverage that. Um, you know, and I, I think nowadays it also still has some merit too. Um, uh, basically, you know, get, getting links, getting featured on on top publications. Um, in terms of basically, you know, marketing strategies that have been very successful, I mean it. It, it does often tend to be very business specific in terms of you know what works for one person might not work for another, with the exception of you know certain things that sometimes work for everybody. Which, for example, launches, um, you know, going out on product hunt, um, you, you know, doing app sumo, um, doing like a Black Friday campaign. Yep. Um, these types of launches, you know, sort of always uh, do do pretty well. Um, and you know, if you think that you can in you can only do them once, that's not necessarily true. Like on product hunt, you can kind of launch things almost all the time um, if you have like you know something new to launch like a new plan or a new feature or something like that so that's a channel that you can kind of go back to monthly um, if you have enough traffic uh, split testing was definitely has always been one of my favorites um, basically uh, you know creating a new design of a home page or a pricing page and um, split testing you know a b testing it against the, the original version and this just kind of you know uh, sky's the limit on that. You've got to get the traffic first, and that is obviously hard. Um, but once you do get it, uh, being able to open that door is is like you know huge. Yeah, I agree. And just for people listening, you know, when it comes to split testing, you know, we would always take the approach of having let's just call it two pages, and we would make them very dramatically um, different. Yeah. Actually, right? That's how you start, and then if it's if you're not seeing like a major, if you see a major difference, you might try like a dramatic change, and then you start doing like small singular changes and things like that once you start getting some traction but you're right the traffic part is always the tough one and um i guess sometimes you just got to pay for traffic right 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's something that nobody wants to do, but they're, uh, today's day and age, it's uh, definitely a necessity at some point, and uh, there's some interesting ways to do that as well. Um, and I'm, so I'm curious, as you're going through all this stuff, um, what, so what's, I guess, down the road? Uh, you're going to just be focusing on uh, churn. Is there anything else in your vision at this point? Um, at the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of focusing on, on less churn, helping out Albacross, uh, doing this guest blogging service, and, um, and you know, and, and basically staying staying around that, that sphere for now. Yeah, and you know, speaking of the guest blogging, actually, that's something that was really big with Buffer as well. That's how they built a lot of their traffic. And I would just add in for people that like, if this is if you're a good writer and you can put out content like that, lean into your own, you know, what you're good at, right? And some people it might be videos and it might be other things. So people get really hung up, like, oh, I got to do all this guest blogging. And if you're not good at doing articles, <laughs> it's going to be a really painful experience. Right. Um, you know, I've been down that road myself before. Um, awesome, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you sharing your experiences with, um, you know, the building of the SaaS companies and especially Ninja Outreach and the exit. Um, I want to give you a chance just to shout out the companies that uh, people can find you at so um, and how they might connect and stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. So there's, like I said, albacross.com, the B2B lead generation platform that, you know, tracks who's visiting your website and Less Churn um, as well, which is the churn reduction software um, that I mentioned earlier. Yep. And guys, I'll just give you those URLs. It's it's albacross, which is A-L-B-A-Cross.com. And then lesschurn.io. Um, do you also oh. have the dot com? Uh, we do not have the dot com, um, I believe. Uh, but one other dimension, I sorry, I forgot. But uh, shortlist.io is the, the guest blogging service. Oh, yeah. Let me check it out. Shortlist.io. Okay. Go link generation marketers. Okay, guys. So listen, if this is your thing, this is definitely a good way to, you know, become friends with uh, Google. <laughs> and so we could check out shortlist.io and get some um, full service guest posting solution. Awesome. Yeah, that could be helpful for people that uh, need that kind of support and they're not the best at writing. It's a time consuming process, but there is a lot of power behind it. For sure. Uh, Dave, awesome, man. Really appreciate you taking the time here, sharing those experiences, um, and we'll uh, stay in touch with you, buddy. Okay, thanks, Adam. Take care. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play, or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time, where money and meaning intersect, right here at the Change Creator Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.